Welcome back, back to Young Money Mindset, hosted by Luke Caricchia and Robbie Holmcross. From, from the ground up, where we talk about mindset, real estate, the hustle, and everything to help you achieve your dreams. Welcome back to Young Money Mindset. We are super excited. Get ready to get inspired today. We have Matthew Khalil here in studio. He's someone that we've done about six deals with here in the last five to six months with him. And uh, he's well known within the real estate industry here in Arizona. So we're looking forward to kind of learning from him today and uh, hopefully providing some value to you guys out there. So why don't you kick us off, Matt, fill us in. How did you get, how did you start on your journey when it comes to real estate investing and kind of what do you, what's your day-to-day look like? Cool. Let's talk about it. Just quick recap, six deals. I have two partners on some of those deals as well. So got to shout them out, Luke and Jake. All right. Yeah. So, hey, um, started in real estate in 2015. Okay. Indirectly. My parents just had bought their primary and you know, after they bought the primary, my head was just running. I'm like, oh, this is cool. Like buying houses. I've always played Monopoly as a kid. So I was like, okay, everything's coming together. Right. And then I went up to my dad a few months after he bought the primary. Um, and then I told him, why don't you buy another house? And then he was like, what are you talking about? How man? old were like, you? 15 years old. Do it again. I was like, why don't you buy another one? Like what's going Like, why do you have to stop at one house? Right. And then he kind of was like, what the heck? Like, what are you thinking about? Like, how are you, like, what's going on, right? So then he thinks about it for a few months, like, and doesn't show it, right? And then out of nowhere, he calls the agent to help him buy his house. And he was like, why don't we look at some other rental properties? And I was like, oh, that's what they're called. I was like, all right, cool. Um, so he ended up buying a townhouse in Mesa, um, like six months later. And I was like, okay, this is cool. And then I helped him actually rent it. So I was like, let me try and figure this out. So I listed on Craigslist, Facebook, everything, right? And then I gave him a tenant in a week. And I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. And I'm 15 years old, right? So I don't even know what I'm talking about. I don't know what a lease agreement is. I literally Googled lease agreement, Arizona, and went to Google Images, screenshotted a lease. I swear it was a one-page lease. <laughs> I screenshotted it. And it had like all the text that was like, um, like, you know, like when you don't pay yeah, for like the contract, it's like whatever yeah, like right? the watermark the watermarks on. On it. Yeah, yeah exactly so i use it anyways i screenshot it and then i'm literally typing up the same exact contract because i didn't want to pay for it i was like ah, let's save the money right um then i bring the tenants over to our primary and then we sign the lease they give the deposit and then after that i look at my dad i was like dude this is actually pretty easy right like it's not too bad um so that was how my journey started into real estate so then after i saw him by the second house, I was like, okay, you know what? I want to buy a house. Like, what, does, what is it going to take for me to buy a house? So even at 15, I started talking to lenders. And I was like, hey, like. You're probably can, like a favorite call for a lender, right? A <laughs> yeah. lender is like a 15-year-old kid reaching they out. They never like... <laughs> took me serious. There was one lender that took me serious. His name is Jason Cox with Fairway, right? I'll never forget. It was in, in, it, was, it was in Chandler. And then he took the time and explained everything to me. Um, and then he was like, when you turn 18, you just have to have credit. And you could get approved for a loan. I was like, okay, there has to be more to this. Like, and then he was like, you have to have a job, yada, yada, yada. I was like, well, I don't have two years of working history at the same job at 18, by the time I turn 18, right? So I ended up going to EVIT, all right? Um, it was like an institutional school. Uh, became a medical assistant, went to EVIT for two years, uh, junior and senior year of high school to become an MA. And then as soon as I graduated, Jason was able to use the two years of schooling as work history. So I qualified for a loan as soon as I turned 18. And then my parents had me as an authorized user on their credit card. So I got credit. So then as soon as I turned 18 and they pulled my credit, I was like, okay, perfect. I have a score. Um, And then, yeah, I bought a primary at 18 um, and ended up renting it out a few months later and then just started the snowball effect. Man, that's incredible. How did you have that mindset? Like that's where the first place I go is like I talk to, you know, a lot of people and like even some of my my cousins are kind of in that age of like 14 to 16. And I try to talk to them uh, over Thanksgiving regarding like, you know, how do how do we get you guys set up buying rentals and like, you know, that whole journey. And they just weren't into it. So what why do you think you were into it at such a young age? 
Was it something you saw? I mean, obviously you saw your dad do it, so I that's there's that. But I mean, I think it it was just super different, just because when I my upbringing was not Matthew. You want this? Let's grab it, right? You want like I was never like spoiled as a kid, right? Thank God I was like I didn't live a terrible lifestyle, right? It wasn't. I don't want to make it sound like terrible, right? But at the same time, like I was hustling since I was like ten years old. I would find something, sell it, find something, sell it, fix something, sell it. So like my dad, um, he had a partner in California that they would buy big boxes from Jerusalem of just crosses and like rosaries and stuff like that and sell at Catholic churches. Okay. So you've always had that entrepreneurial kind of type mindset. And that's what we see a lot, especially like right now in business i mean a lot of people are the ones that maybe weren't as entrepreneurial or kind of getting out of the out of the real estate world so i feel like a lot of people that at a young age you know have that entrepreneurial type mindset those are the guys that that typically go on to start businesses so fast forward you know you start buying rentals at 18 which is awesome i mean anyone out there watching like should definitely be looking up to you at 18 i don't know a lot of people that that have purchased rentals. I'm serious. A lot of people don't realize too that you can use that two years of school and college to as your work history. Yeah. You know, um, and people just don't realize that you can leverage that. You know. Yeah, that's that's huge, and that's what got you on this journey of real estate investing. So, what? Fast forward. You're 18. You buy your first store. Fast forward to like you know within a last year or two, like where are you at today, and kind of what's happened since then. So. Yeah, 23 now, just turned 23, uh, bought a handful of other rentals. Um, I'm at roughly 12 units, I think it is. Um, I kind of took a pause for a year, year and a half back in 21, um, just because the market was so like hot that my focus is, I, I mean, looking back at it as a, like when we were talking about before the pod, what I messed up on was not buying in that time, right? Just because I know rates were low and you can't predict it, right? But at the same time, in 2021, I took a pause. Didn't buy a thing. I just was working on active income, right? Just turn and burn, turn and burn, turn and burn. And I was like, oh man, if I were to have bought two or three, they would outperform the stuff that I'm buying now or the stuff that I bought previously, right? So, um, you know, I'm not really big on timing the market, right? I'm a long-term hold type of guy. I don't care if it's, I'm underwater on some stuff, right? But like, it's like, I don't care that, okay, this is worth 500 today. It may be worth 450 in six months from now. And, but I know if I hold, held it for 15 years, it's gonna be worth like 700, right? It always outworks itself, right? So that's the, I mean, no, that's, that's really cool because, I mean, I, I think a lot of people get hung up on real estate investing and they're like, you know, what about the market? What if the market goes down? So I think it's a good refresher for people in the audience to hear that, you know, you don't have to always have a large equity position in a property. Typically, when you purchase a property, you're not going to step into a shit ton of equity unless you're buying it wholesale from me. like Matt does. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> then they're uh, deep, right? Yeah, then he's deep on it. Um, <laughs> But a lot of stuff, you know, in all seriousness, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be a breaky, you know, you're going to have very little to no equity. And then obviously once you factor in the costs of actually selling the property as well, the 4%, 6%, you know, you back that out of it. Typically you're going to be underwater for a little bit. So it is good to, to stay focused in on that long-term mindset. One thing I think a lot about though, is you never want to be a forced seller, Matt. You never want to be in a position where you have some negative equity and, you know, you don't manage your finances well, life event happens, something comes up where you're a forced seller at the not opportune time. So what, how are you positioning yourself? Because I know that's on a lot of people's mind right now, especially with the way the market is. How are you positioning financially right now? So I won't, I won't buy rentals just to buy rentals, right? There are, like I said, some rentals that are underwater, but I'm offsetting it by other rentals that are you know, doing well, right? And there is an equity position in them. I kind of look at a portfolio as a whole, right? So it's like, okay, total value X, leverage is X, this is my equity position, right? Because once you hit a certain number, then it's like, okay, these bank, you could go portfolio loan your stuff, right? They're they're not really hung up on that one house. 
they're more so like, okay, well, he's giving us these six other houses, seven other houses that have 50% equity. Yeah, this one's at 90%. Cool. Let's just bundle them all together. And the, the portfolio still performs well, right? Yeah. Um, but my position right now is like my mindset right now when I underwrite a deal or I'm looking at any any sort of yeah real estate or anything like that is multiple exit strategies right now. So it's like if I'm buying something as a rental, for example, if I'm buying a burr, I want to make sure it I underwrite it properly to burr it. If I can't burr it, can I flip it, right? And if I am going to underwrite on a flip, my as crazy as it sounds, my appraisals on burrs always come in higher than what I could end up selling the property for, right? Yeah. Just because of the way the market is, right? Um so I'm my flip number, I have to underwrite it and make sure that I'm at least good there. I'm good on my burrs, my burn numbers. And then other than that, rentals. I'm not I know there's a lot of people out there and I'm just not throwing shade at anybody, but like when people tell me oh, I'm I'm gonna buy this rental, it's gonna negative cash flow for three years, but it's only like two hundred dollars a month. And I'm like, what like I get it. The tax advantages, all that stuff, right? I'm aware of all that stuff, right? But like me personally, I will I will not put myself in the position where it's like I'm just burning three hundred dollars a month, so I can go and do a cost seg or whatever and depreciate it, and then oh I made money indirectly, and it's like you did but you didn't because you could just wait for a better deal, you know yeah. what I mean, um, or something that at least breaking you even or something of that nature, right? So I'm avoiding those deals, okay. Yeah, and that's something I've done recently because I I did buy one that that was a negative, <laughs> negative cash flow. I was like, fuck, every month I see that payment come out and the rent come in. I'm like, god damn it. Um, but I agree with you because I think at the end of the day, I look at it as a portfolio, right? And the the ones that are you know eight hundred dollar a month cash flow, if you're eating one hundred and fifty on the other one, you know you can sleep well at night knowing that. I guess where I go is the long term appreciation on some of those. So like if you're able to buy a deal, let's say that is a break even, would you do something that's a break even that has a great rate um, that you can maybe do like you know a four to six year hold? Do you do any of the, like the balloons and stuff like that? Yeah, like a sub two with like a five year balloon. Would you do it something like that? Because I I try to avoid the balloons. I think. I think balloons are for parties, not real estate. I tell sellers that all the time, yeah. you know, when they're like, oh, we need a five-year balloon. I'm like, that's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, balloon, like, I mean, so the, to answer your question, I'll avoid everything with a five-year balloon. Unless it, I'm buying it at a no-brainer price, you know, that yeah, there is equity, down. right? So, like, then it makes sense, right? Um but on a sub two deal, even if it's breaking even, I still wouldn't buy even put like, um, you know, the balloon aside, right? Say it's amortized on 30 years and you're just writing that seller's loan, right? If it's still a break even, but my entry is like 30, 40 grand, I'm not into it. Yeah. But that's again, this is just personal preference, right? I'm with you on the portfolio and the big picture, right? The only reason why I would do something like that is if it's in a great location, right? If it's in a great location and I know that this area is going to grow, don't throw me somewhere into like Casa Grande or like Eloy or Maricopa and expect me to do that. No way in hell. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I've, I've noticed a lot of those deals in those surrounding areas, man, I've been really challenging to move recently. And it used to be a year ago. I mean, it, everything was <laughs> a ton of inventory out in those areas too now it's just saturated with the new builds and that you know yeah i think the new builds are crushing a lot of that too. it's terrible because you can't beat the rates and that but kind of to piggyback off of what you said if you're not going you know the creative finance route um obviously to acquire 12 properties in five years you know you're not just doing fha or conventional loans so um have you like built a relationship with a bank obviously they're looking at your portfolio but how do you how do you obviously the first one you know you did a, a traditional home buyer but how are you going about acquiring that many properties and not doing the, hey, let me buy every two years, uh, avoid the capital. You know what I mean? Like the, the generic way to do it. How are you acquiring so many in such a short time? No, I gotcha. So the 12 units I have, they're not 12 separate properties, right? So I have a few multifamilies, right? So these are units. Right now, total like parcel numbers, you could say, um, are eight. I think, eight or nine, something like that. One's on a seller finance. That's what I was going to say. So seller finance, a true seller finance, no mortgage, I will do all day. I love those. It's amazing. Right? Yeah. Um, and I won't touch anything still on that if it's less than 10-year balloon. I would give myself 10 years just because then the market could reheal itself. 
Um, at least that's my philosophy. And I take the same philosophy. I, I do a minimum. If I am going to do yeah. the balloon, it's got to be. Ten a, years is plenty of time. Yeah. You know, you should no, exactly. Yeah. Like you, you, by then you could either, you know, sell it, wrap it, do whatever you need to do in order to get out of it. I would like to think. Right. So, but to answer your question, I started talking to portfolio lenders recently just to like get the conversation started with them. Um, cause that, Fannie Freddie only gives you 10 loans, right? They, I've heard people saying that they start causing you problems at eight, right? Where they'll start, you know, pr like pr pricing will just get less attractive, right? Um, but yeah, I started talking to a portfolio lender where essentially he would just portfolio, say five properties in one portfolio. His, the lowest amount of properties he could put in portfolio is five. He'd go up to 10, um, for each portfolio. So that's something that I'm looking, f um, looking into. Um, hopefully here in the near future, I'll have more details on it just because I haven't pulled, you know, the trigger on it quite yet. Just because again, the hard part is I have some good rates on the other stuff that I'm holding. So if I go portfolio, all these ones together at a high rate, it's like, Oh my gosh, like what, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. No, absolutely. But like on early on, like let's say you're out there listening to the pod and, you know, maybe you own one house and you're like, man, I want to buy my, my, my other, you know, my second door. Do you, I think, I think where Robbie was going is like, are you, are you buying, are you using conventional loans? Or from my understanding, I think you're, you're burring into a lot of these deals, right? So like after that first one you bought at 18, how did you acquire the second door? So first one, 18 conventional, second one conventional as well. So I just did primary, primary. Did you go 20%? Oh, primary, primary. What was okay. your time period between the first and your second? Six months. Six months. So 10% 10, 10 down uh, on the first one, 5% down on the other one. And keep in mind, my first one, I wasn't an agent yet. My second one helped me out because I took that 3% co-broke, 5% down, 2%, and they paid for all my closing costs. So essentially, I was 2% into this thing. Uh, my third one, 20% down. So I used to be like, that's, that's what I was going to get into. I used to be the guy that was like, dude, I'm just an investor. Like, so what? Like I saved up my money. I'm going to blow it all on one rental. If I knew what I knew back in 2020, because that was my last one I ever did that mistake on was 2020. I'm not upset about it. I'm, it's one of my favorite properties, but it was just very eye opening. You know what I mean? It was like, if I knew what I knew today, I did not need to bury just shy of 90 grand. You know what I mean? Yeah, into uh, one exactly. into one door, yeah. So, um, yeah. So, but all of mine are conventional. Okay. Every single one. I don't have one DSCR loan. Everything is Fannie Freddie uh, for right now. Um, a few properties I partnered with my parents on. So Mulberry, yeah. I bought from Luke. Um, I, my parents and I partnered on that one. They put the loan in their name. We're all on title. Um, just so I could start offsetting the loans, right? Smart, so yeah. I was like, okay, you know what? Let's do this one together. You do the loan. I'll take the property down, buy it from me, do whatever you need to do. And then that loan's in their name. And we just wrapped up one yesterday. That refinance just closed. And that one is under my parents' name as well. Um, so that's, I'm very blessed in the aspect of like, my parents are more than willing to help out and wherever they can. Um, so that definitely helps. So like to offset some of the loans, my parents put them in their name. You know, that's, that's huge. And, and, you know, if you're out there listening and you're thinking, man, I need all this money, I need 90 grand, right. To buy my first rental, like where Matt was going with that is, you know, you don't need 20% down to buy, to buy rental properties. I think it's the, one of the biggest mistakes early investors make is they think, oh, I need to save up or I need two years under my belt at this current address and I need to go out and buy it as a primary. So is there certain strategies you're using? I know we've looked at a lot of seller financing. I know we had a conversation about two months ago, actually, about some interest-only loans and stuff like that. So why don't you share, like, to the audience out there, like, if you're thinking about buying a rental, but you only have, let's say, 30 grand, is there a Perfect. Is there a possibility <laughs> the number. To, uh, the number. To, to buy a rental for 30? Absolutely. So I... There was a deal that I was negotiating. I think we talked about it. The one in Chandler, um, stucco tile, nice house. Um, that house was listed on the MLS for five hundred and fifty-five thousand. Okay, pretty much ARV, right? If anything, a little bit over um, what it was worth, right? Seller would only carry. She did not want to sell it traditionally, um, just because she didn't want to deal with the capital gains, right? And she was very sophisticated, like she knew what she was doing. Um, so. I'm talking to her and we're kind of going back and forth. 
we ended up negotiating a 5% down. Okay. Keep in mind, I'm getting paid 2.5% commission on this, right? So we negotiated 5% down, 3% interest only, 10-year um, balloon, uh, da, 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 da. Interest, uh, my, my interest payment will recast any time principal payment is made. So it's not done, like, if I make an extra $100 today, it's recasting that principal balance after that $100 has been paid now. So everything is just, it's, I don't know, I thought it was cool. So I'm recasting the rate every single time I make a principal payment. Um, that one's on a 10-year balloon, and that might total all in. And this is if you're a realtor watching this. This is the number for a realtor. But my total all into that was twelve grand. Wow, fifteen grand. That's incredible. So you heard it here, guys. You don't need ninety thousand dollars to buy a rental. It's one of the probably the biggest myths we see out there when it comes to real estate investing. When it comes to to long term rentals. Um, but why don't you explain what a recast means? Because people out there in the audience, even agents, I talk to a lot of real estate agents, they're like, what's a recast? You know, so <laughs> why don't you break down the recast? Just a quick yeah. 101 overview. So recast is essentially if, you know, the, he's, the easiest way for me to kind of explain it is going to be if I'm paying 10% on $100, right? That is $10, $10 right? If I make a principal payment of $10 additional, so now my loan amount is $90 and I'm paying 10% on that, now my payment is $9. So it's constantly going down as I'm making an additional payment on top of my minimum payment of that interest only. Yeah, I love it. And I the way I break it down to agents is very similar. It's like, hey, you know, if let's say I'm paying you 5% on 100000 and I call you tomorrow and make a $10,000 principal payment, now I'd only be paying 5% on $90,000. So it's going to reduce that interest I'm paying monthly. Not to mention your client could get a call, you know, and say, hey, guess what? You got a check for ten grand, or, you know. So there is benefits on both ends, uh, especially for the investor and then also the person holding the note too. I mean, you know, opportune time, maybe they get some extra funds and they can go redeploy, especially right now. Are you running into sellers um, that you're having a harder time getting a three, four percent note because bonds and mark money, mutual market accounts are paying four percent. Some savings accounts right now are paying three. Yeah, three, four or five percent. So um, yes and no. So definitely it's always hard to get a three percent rate, right? I don't want to make it sound like it's easier said than done, right? I think it all falls back to purchase price because at the end of the day, it's all an equation, right? If you take, I don't know, you know Jared Vidalis? Yeah. Jared Vidalis, stud of a guy. If you need seller finance, talk to him, right? He, like, essentially, like, you could take out interest rate, you could take out everything out of the equation, right? And just negotiate, like, for example, like, a payment you want to make. Like, forget about interest rates, right? Um, the rate is just part of, at the end of the day, when I look at a seller finance deal, I really don't care about purchase price, obviously within reason, right? And I don't care about the interest rate. I look at what is my down payment and what is my debt service and what does this property rent for? If this, if there's like a return that is good to be made there, then it's a deal to me, right? Um, so that's like my, my biggest thing. Um, it is, of course, challenging, you know, because like the people out there that just don't understand the market, you, you're trying to pitch a 3% interest rate. They're like, you're out of your mind. You can't even get that or anywhere near that in the market. Why do you think I'm going to give it to you, right? But then it's like if you inflate the purchase price and then give me a 3% rate, it just sounds better to me, but I'm paying it in interest because I'm paying you more for your house, right? Yeah. So essentially, it's like me getting a 4.5% or 5% interest rate, but on 50, 60 grand lower of a purchase price, right? So that's the best way to look at it. Um, I think it all falls back down to payment, terms, and like rents, and obviously the cash that you're going to bring to the table. I love that because too many people get hung up on purchase price or they get hung up on, oh, you know, what I, I got to be at a 3% instead of a 4% when they're not looking at the total equation. I like, I like that saying of looking at it as an equation and looking at the full picture because we do see quite a bit, especially even on the listing side, you know, we see agents especially that list properties that they know are, are high, you know, in, in purchase price, 
but then they want to ask for an 8% rate and 150000 down. And it's like, you got to give me something, right? If it's going to be your price, it's got to be our terms or vice versa. So I think that's awesome. How kind of switching gears a little bit and, uh, and diving more into kind of what challenges you faced and what, what challenges you're currently facing, what would you say is the biggest challenge right now for you and your partners in your guys' business? Staying motivated. <laughs> that's <laughs> real. That's I, universal. No, no. Yeah, so like, I mean, like, for example, it's like, I'm not saying that I'm lazy or that I don't want to make it or, you know, keep myself busy, right? But, like, it's, like, staying motivated in the sense of, like, at the end of the day, you could take calculated risk, right? You know, with whatever industry you're in, okay? Um, But the biggest thing is going to be fighting your own demons inside of you, right? So if you're underwriting this deal, for example, today, and it's going to spit out making 20 grand, right? You may be losing 20 grand by the time you're done because this market's moving quick, right? It, whatever, like, the puppet says, everybody goes, right? So it's like, that's, like, the unfortunate thing. So you have to be very, very conservative, in my opinion, or, like, you know, just assess just, the risk. Yeah, just very calculated. I think right now is being so, I, I guess, because, I, I mean, I struggle with that right now, too, especially being in the wholesale business, and I know some wholesalers are going to be watching this. It's like we come across so many deals. I look at so many damn deals that it's honestly been a challenge of mine to be like, I, I can't buy this. Like, I, it's hard for me to be like, you know, because I see it, I want it, you know. Um, but I, it all comes back down to taking calculated risks, and I that is a challenge of mine. So it sounds like you guys, yeah, are, are looking at it kind of in a similar way of like, man, how do I really figure out, you know, what deals to actually take down, what deals to take to the finish line. Um, can you break down a burr for us? Because I know a lot of people out there, um, have heard of Burr, you know, um, they, they hear buy, renovate, refinance, or buy, uh, repair, uh, rent, refi. So um, why don't you break down, I don't know if you have like a ballpark or like an example you can give us of a real deal. Yeah. Love to break that down. Yeah, so one of my latest ones, I ended up flipping it because I'll break that down later. But this was a deal that I bought in Mesa. I bought it for 160000 Um I put sixty thousand into it. Okay. Was it one I sold you or no? Okay. Yeah, <laughs> this like, one's off his like, okay. damn, I, I was like, like gosh, <laughs> that was what I should have bought. Damn it. I should have took risk away. on that. No, we're actually in the middle of the reno on Serene oh, right now. God, so good luck. We'll show you what it looks like afterwards. But um one sixty purchase price, sixty into it for reno. Uh that's two twenty all in. Um holding costs, call it ten grand on that low dollar amount. Um so you're into it for 230. That property appraised for 300 grand. Okay. Um, after it appraised for 304. But 304, 25% leverage on that. So we ended up getting around 229,000 on loan amount. So we literally were like pretty much a wash, right? Because the 10 the holding cost wasn't 10, it was a little bit less, but um that was like a complete wash. We ended up listing that property for sale and for rent at the same time. Just because that house had a subfloor on it, stuff like that, like the demographic of people that were going to live there, it was just going to be a nightmare for maintenance. So we're like, hey, if we could sell it, great. If not, we'll keep it, right? And we already closed on the loan and we've already burned it, right? But then now we've listed it for rent for sale at the same time. Um, then, yeah, that one we ended up selling. But essentially what it would be, that debt service on that one was $1,575. Very low taxes, very low insurance. Um, and rent, it was listed for 1995 and my phone was nonstop, but we ended up making the decision of selling it. Just yeah, so, yeah. so if you guys are, if you guys are following that, basically Matt's able to purchase a deal for essentially no money, right? I mean, by the time you refi it out, you, your, your goal with the burr is to, to basically recoup as much money as possible out of it. And sometimes you're going to leave money tied into the deal as well. You know, sometimes it gets trapped into the deal and then you got to sit back and wait until your next exit. But that's interesting. I, uh, I, I really like the, uh, the, the fact and something that I've been thinking a lot about recently is trying to get more into the burrs because we do flips and I always think of it as kind of a worst case scenario, like the nightmare story. I think that goes on, on a, in a lot of rehabbers minds is like, 
what if this property doesn't sell? Like when I flip it. It's a solid exit though, if nothing else, you know. Yeah, in a worst case scenario, you guys always have that burr model to fall back onto and refi out yeah. if you can't get it sold. So two things. This could piggyback on when we were talking about 30 grand for a yeah. rental. Even if you have to trap money on a burr, but you're trapping less than 20%, that you would initially went and like went and have done on like because like Fannie Freddie minimum down on investment stuff fifteen percent with mortgage insurance, twenty percent to eliminate that. So twenty percent is usually the rule of thumb. If I bought that house that we were talking about on the burr at three hundred thousand or twenty percent down, that's sixty grand being buried just to have another rental. I just did this for no money out of pocket. If I did end up keeping it right, or even if I trapped and the appraisal came in low, two seventy five, whatever, I'm trapping twenty grand. Yeah, it's still less than sixty. Yeah, it's still less yeah. than sixty, and that's what's going to allow you guys to scale. I hear a lot of times people are like, "Man, I just feel stuck. I got one door, I got two doors, I got five doors, whatever that number is for you." They just feel stuck in that. So, like, I think a burr would be a great model to really try to hit scale and and start doing more deals. Um, what do you have, Robbie? Anything in terms of? Um, like the real estate side, I know we're kind of coming from more of a traditional background uh, in yeah. real estate. So most of what I do is all traditional. So I'm curious, I'm always curious, you know, obviously we have people on um, kind of what else you do. So I know um, as far as just like earned income, I mean, obviously a rental property is going to give you some passive and things like that. But what else are you doing to get out and earn dollars to go and make these moves? Because a lot of the people listening, I mean, they're they're really not, you know, they don't have a lot of the leverage or the resources, you know, that some of us are fortunate to have. Um, so coming from a, a ground level, how are you building up to maybe get the funds for those first couple? So for the past few months, hasn't been well, but <laughs> this is what I was doing prior to that. Uh, flips are great. You know, flips, they're, they're always nice. But again, just because of the market, there's flips that we underwrote to make X, ended up losing, right? So like either way, flip is... Flipping is a good one. Uh, that is something we do. Um, wholesales, we'll, we'll do them. If we have the right opportunity, we, we will do them. We never daisy chain deals. We If we commit with Luke, hey, Luke, we are taking this down. We are taking it down. If we end up selling it afterwards because we had a good opportunity, whatever, then that may be a case, right? But anytime I commit to a deal, I'm taking Not it down. You're going to see me on the right. HUD, right? right. Um, and just one quick side note on that, and it's it's not you know, and, and just just to clear the record, like I think Matt's strategy and the way he goes about that is super important. The biggest thing is not that you're going to daisy chain the deal, but just being transparent with the wholesaler you're buying from. If you are going to daisy chain it, don't say you're going to close it and like, oh, my name's going to be on the HUD. And then there's fucking five assignments (laughs) after you. Like, just be transparent (laughs) about it at least. But go ahead. And a a lot of people in this industry are happy for other people to make money. 100%. They're never like, oh, they're looking in everyone's pocket. Unless you're the guy that's like trying to like nickel and dime Luke because you could go move it for 20 grand when it's like you could have bought it at his price and still moved it for 15. Right. That's like, OK, dude, come on, relax. Yeah. But um, yeah, so wholesales flips, uh, the rental stuff. Other than that, that's pretty much the main stuff. Um, I do do traditional stuff. I my business did start on the traditional side. I started commercial real estate, but then I my church and the people around me are the ones that helped me like really thrive in real estate when I first got into it. Yeah, I have no pun intended, right? <laughs> Thanks for the shout out. But, um, you know, so traditional real estate has always been good for me. Um, for the past few months, it's just been slow just because of rates, obviously. But there will be a traditional deal every here and there um, where I'll help a family friend or somebody get into a house. So that definitely helps. Um, but, yeah, there's a lot of, you know. And just uh, and I, on that, because like I think a lot of people listening, it's like wholesale, retail, and um, fix and flips are kind of like your highest earned income activities. Um, no, no, yes and no. Why is that? Rent or time? Or it's just time. So it's like, for example, a flip. In all honesty, me flips, I'm not a big fan of. I I lo- I do them, and they I enjoy seeing the before and afters. But I'm not a big fan of like, okay, this is going to be 90-day money from now, 120-day money from now. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. like – and this is on, on hopes and obviously calculated risk in order to make that money, right? But, um, you know, I love the traditional side where it's like I'm going to help this seller sell their house. I'm going to help this buyer get into a house. I have no money at risk. 
Yeah. Right. It, it is time, which is money, whatever, but it's essentially no risk, right? So. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. There is something to be said about the no risk. You know, when I represent someone, I was thinking about it the other day. It's like, it's not my earnest money going. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's like, I'm not tying up 10 grand. It's but, a lot easier to, to write yeah. that contract and everything else. Yeah. So, I, I mean, but like, at least for me, like I know Flip is definitely one of the highest earning income opportunities I have at my at my fingertips and then wholesale then then retail but like the way I always try to translate it is like you could take your flip money and as long as you're able to 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 position yourself with that I mean even one flip what would you say on average you guys make on a flip like on average I know some are going to be you know super duper winners some are going to be losers 45 to 50 is kind of the number yeah so think about it out there. If you could do one of those, you know, two of those a year. I mean, them, right? Yes. On top of everything else. But like you said, that 90 days too, you know, real estate markets can change in 90 days, like uh, big time, you know? And that, like you said, you, you can get caught out there sometimes too. And we, we know plenty of people that have, you know? Um, but yeah, you, you have to obviously, like you said, kind of diversify and, and make sure you're underwriting your deals and exactly. it's working. It's just, I, and I like to bring up risk because I don't, I used to be the guy when I first started into this industry. I was like, dude, these guys are making crazy money. Like, good for them. And it was like kind of like, like, whoa, right? Until I started doing it myself. And I'm like, all right, guys, everybody over there needs to <laughs> shut up. All right? yeah. Because I don't sleep at night. Yeah. <laughs> I'm over here stressing 24-7, right? When you like you have money out or whatever, right? It's oh, like, 100%. There has to be a return on the risk you're taking, right? Yeah. And it, it, hopefully it's a good return, right? Yeah. So it's like that's like kind of the biggest thing. Um, so no, when, I, when I, you take the risk is when you make the better money typically, you know? For sure. It's, yeah, and you're going to get paid on the risk, but I think at the end of the day, too, it really boils down to if you're able to do flipping on a small level. Like, I, I see a lot of guys want to go and scale it and do 50 or 100, and I, I think you guys do quite quite a few of them. But, like, I, I guess it just comes back down to, like, what risk are you comfortable with taking? And that's always going to change. One misconception I hear a lot of is, man, I don't have 150. I know we keep going back to this I don't have mentality, but we hear it so much out there, and I want this podcast to provide value to someone that's out there that's like, man, I don't maybe have the best resources available, but I do have a shit ton of time that I can invest. So I think when it comes to flipping, like go partner with someone that is actively flipping in exchange for, you know, you not having money, you can bring them the deal, right? And say, hey, here's the deal. Let's go ahead and partner on the flip. And obviously you're going to take more, you have risk, you have money, you have, you know, everything going into it, but then that way you can learn and get a good mentor that can walk you through it. Because I think if you really learn flipping the right way, I think it can be a huge thing that serves you and your family really for, I don't ever stop plan on stop flipping. I mean, I'm sure ebbs and flows and, you know, we'll do more, we'll do less, but I think it's one of those deals where like you prove it to yourself that it's real and then you're like, shit, man, this is this is going to be a good opportunity oh, no, long term. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, it, again, it goes back to the equation. As long as you buy right, there's it's always going to work out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Everything always sells. It's always at the price. Tell us um, what, if you don't mind us asking Matt, what's the most amount of money you've made in a year? Gross. <laughs> not, not, not talking net. I'm just saying gross. <laughs> just... Uh, da, 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 da. Well, you can give us a range, or, or you you don't have yeah, to anywhere from a dollar to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I would say. Three hundred. Three hundred. Okay. So, and I think that's something too. Like, if you're out there looking at people on Instagram or social media, and you think, man, these guys, you know, have it made. It's like when you look at the top line number, let's call That's it. Not net. Yeah, exactly. Let's let's <laughs> call it 100, 200, 300. It's like, what are you walking away with at the end of the day? Because, I mean, just piggybacking off what we were talking about on the flip side, I'm learning right now that taxes are, gains are real. real. <laughs> yeah. It's different when they subtract it at the end of the year. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, and then just learning, you know, and, and uh, learning and, and what one thing I should have done better is surround myself with better accountants, better tax people. I feel like we all kind of start off at a level where we're not making a whole lot of money. So we just kind of go to, 
hey, you're a buddy's friend's mom, you know, you're a CPA, like, can you do my books? But Mm -hmm. we never really, you know, progress to that next level. So that's one thing I've done is go back through, hire a new accountant. Dude, they're worth a lot of money too. A lot. They're worth good money. And it it ties into the taking calculated risks because I was never able to really, you know, I heard, oh, take calculated risk, understand your numbers, be able to underwrite deals. And I understood all of that, but I was still at the end of the night like, fuck, what am I missing? Like, what, what is it? And I was missing the accountant side of like, Hey, this is P and L. This is what we brought in. This is what we love, you know, and just really looking at it from an overview. And then like, even like a chart of accounts, I never knew what a chart of accounts was. I never knew that you could look at a balance sheet and all the things that go into the accounting side. Uh, What would you say on the personal development side? Is there anything, I mean, are you a big believer in personal development? Are you currently reading any books? Any, are you listening to any good podcasts right now? My biggest thing is, I mean, this, this honestly started like a week ago. I want to get closer to church again, you know, um, since I was a kid, I mean, I've always believed in God, Christian, you know what I mean? And, I've like for the past week, two weeks, I just was like, I need to get closer to God. You know, like I've terrible as it sounds, it's like I always pray when I need something and then I always like kind of forget when I don't, you know? So it's like, I just want it to be more consistent. That's like a big goal of mine because I do find a lot of peace. Um, Once I'm going to church, you know, praying more often than more often more, praying not, more often. Yeah. Yep. Um, exactly. <laughs> so like, no, I, so that's like a big goal of mine. Other than that, I mean, of course, you know, personal development. I mean, I'm always like trying to get on the podcast, the books. I'm not a big book reader. Are you like the ice bath at 5 a.m.? Dude, I love guy? cold plunge. Oh, but yeah, not 5 a.m. More like 5.30. No. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, you, typically I'll do them at night in the evening, but I love cold plunges. Like my ideal setup at my house, once I find a primary, let me know if you come across anything. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, cold plunge, sauna, steam room, kind of like a oh, little yeah. circuit. That would that. be the goal. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I, I was just telling my fiance, I was like, hey, I want to get, I'm, we're going to do a little addition or a little garage out back and trick that out. And that's exactly what I was saying. Dude. Cold plunge, sauna. Oh, the steam shower. It's need all super that. underrated, man. It is. Super underrated. Well, I think recently, too, I mean, we've seen, you know, I've seen, it feels like everyone's doing the ice baths now. I mean, it's it's just like. We can buy them for 100 bucks now. Yeah. Oh, the little blow-up ones. Yeah, they're like $109 or something. Yeah. yeah it's, they're not the guys on uh, Instagram posting yeah. the plunge ones. They'll yeah. seven grand. <laughs> <laughs> That big white tub. Yeah, I'm not paying white. ten grand for this thing. <laughs> yeah, like, where that? am I gonna put that, dude? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but to piggyback on like the Instagram, I don't know why it just clicked with me. But you know, in the beginning of the pod, we were talking about why entrepreneurs, like how you really became an entrepreneur, right? Um, and how it starts like when you're young and you're just like a hustler, right? I think the hard part about today's time, and again, this is just my personal opinion, is just I feel like people think of real estate as a trend. It's that new cool thing. A lot of people are doing it. It's an easy way to get make money. I want to go become a realtor, whatever, yada, yada. It's like, dude, none of that is accurate. You know what I mean? It's like, can you make quick money? Absolutely. You're going to put the time and the effort into it, right, in order to to do it. Um, so I think that's like the, a big thing for people to understand as well. Whether you're coming into this industry or you just got into it, it's like, you know, it's not as easy as everybody makes it seem. It's not. And go into real estate with the mindset of I'm making zero dollars in the first six months I'm doing business and I'm going to work harder than I'm currently working at my job. So if you're working 40 hours a week, say I'm going to make, yeah, I'm going to make, I'm going to work 80 hours a week and I'm going to make zero dollars for the first six months. That's your time investment. But like you said, that's the, the time investment. If you don't have resources, Leverage your time and let it leverage and start buying properties like you did. But I, I think it starts before that because I talk to a lot of people that are like, Luke, I don't have six months. I, I have bills to pay. I can't wait six months. And that's why it starts prior to you even getting into real estate. You have to be positioning yourself. If you don't have resources, you don't have anyone you can lean on, you can slowly start making that that transition, slowly start saving your dollars up until one day you're like, man, you wake up and you're like, I might have three months worth of bills yeah. i think that's what you need i think three months is, is a good number to get sure. into it yeah i mean i've heard numbers all over the place but i mean to be honest like and i don't want to sound like i don't have a heart or something but like it's all bs at the end of the day right it's like i don't like to cut people slack where it's like i got bills to pay i got this. if you want it bad enough you're gonna figure out a way to make it work i remember when i wanted just to save up money i would be working my denny shift 
till midnight before I go to school the next day just to save money for my first car, right? Irrelevant. It has nothing to do with real estate, right? But like I wanted my car, so I worked hard to get it, right? Um, even when I got into real estate, I was still working as an MA. I used to, like my first property when I bought it, I got it because of working as an MA. I got into real estate and I was doing real estate full time and I was working full time as an MA, right? So I was working, I, w- I would leave work, go show properties. I would, you know, during lunch, be on searches. I would do whatever I can, whatever time I had, it would be focused into that. Do you think that's something you're born with or do you think that's something you learned or that you, um, is part of your character development? Because I'm getting ready to have a baby in July and I was thinking like, I don't, you know, I see the guys, some like super successful people and their kids end up doing nothing and then vice versa, you know, some really poor families or you know, the next Bill Gates. So it's like, is that born or is that taught? I think it starts at birth, but it's not, you're not born with it, if that makes sense. So it's not taught indirectly. Like I can't teach you to go be a hustler. I can't teach you to work hard. I can't do that, right? As bad as it sounds, I need to figure out a way to make you uncomfortable to the position that you are pushed to do something uncomfortable, which is work hard, put in the time, the effort, and whatever you need to do, just because you know that I'm not going to be your crutch, right? So, like, what was good about my parents when I was growing up, and that what instilled, like, the mentality of, like, I want to I make money, I want to figure out a way, right? It's like, my parents always got us what we needed, right? Never what I wanted, right? Needed was like, okay, you got your shoes, you got your one pair of shoes for six months, next semester or whatever you get a new pair of shoes right you all my friends had ps3s dad i want a ps3 nope not happening dude i would try i put signs to mow people's lawns i kid you not i did everything right so that's what i like if my parents were like yeah here's the ps3 here's the psp here is uh your scooter here is this here's that then of course what the hell why would i want to do anything right i'm gonna be too busy playing with these toys because i never worked for them right that's the big thing. When I talk to Ramonda, you know, God willing, one day when we have kids, it's like, that's the type of, you know, like, parenting, like parenting yeah. I'm going to do, you know, yeah. for my child. I would not, ha- whether I am chilling on Mummy Mountain or whatever, right? Like, it does not matter, right? They're not, whatever they want, they're not going to get, right? Because I don't want them to grow up being like that person that doesn't value anything, Right. I know a lot of people that have kids that don't value crap, right? Because, oh, I want this. Yeah, here you go, son. Just shut up. Here, take this, take this. And then they've grown to be nothing, right? Yeah. You can typically um, tell when you're around those people, too, that don't have the uncoachables. It's, such, sure. it's so obvious when you're in a room with someone that for has sure. been handed everything. Yeah. They don't have that uncoachable mindset, you know? Yeah. You, you just you can't teach that. You can teach people how to sell real estate and how to flip a house and things like that. But the hunger... That's, oh, that's yeah. within, you know. Oh, it's... for sure. Because, like, my goals is not, yes, it's a dollar amount. Yes, I would love to go and make X amount of money, right? Of course. But my goals are beyond that in the sense of, like, I want to be able to take care of my parents. I want to, you know, retire them. I want to, you know, take care of the people around me. I want to do a good deed for this foundation. I want to do that. You know what I mean? It's not necessarily I want to go live in a $5 million house. I want to drive the Wraith, and I want to be able to eat at Mastro's every night. That's not my – that's not, like, what I'm doing my day-to-day for, right? So I think it all falls back as well as, like, your purpose. There's a lot of people that just don't quite really understand what their purpose is, right? When I make money, it's not going all straight into my pocket, which indirectly it is, but it's not, right? Like, I have plans with this money to go do X, Y, and Z with this that will fuel me to be like, I want to do, I want to go make more money in order to go do these things, right? So that's a big thing as well. Like, and I feel like a lot of that stuff cannot be taught. I can't teach you to, hey, you know, you make 10 grand, give half of it to, you know, X, Y, and Z, and then give half of it here. You know what I mean? I can't do that. Yeah, you can't do it. And I think one one thing that really stuck out to me is getting comfortable with the uncomfortable, you know, and, and really, I think as a kid develops, I, you know, I think there's something to be said about, like you were saying, just giving them what they need, but not necessarily what they want. So there is that desire to, you know, try to get out there and, and, and a little adversity, I guess, too, right? Because like, 
it's, I think it's good to face adversity at a young age. And, um, as long as it's not like super, super traumatic or something oh, like, sure. like I, do I remember the times where my friends had things that I did not have and it like, it hurt you. It, yeah. yeah, it did. Yeah, at the absolutely. time I was like, dude, like, why am I yeah, different than why them, me? Right? Why is my, yeah. But then that's the stuff that helped me be like, dude, I'm glad. I could say with full confidence now, like, I am super glad and thankful for going through all that because I did not end up like that. But in the moment, you don't have that. But it's so weird looking back on it. And, like, one thing I've been doing a lot is, like, when, like, we found out Katrina was pregnant, it was, like, you start, thank you so much. Like, you start thinking about all the things your parents did and what you think they did right and what you think they did wrong. And it and it brings up a lot of memories from your childhood that, I didn't even, I haven't thought about forever. And, and it's a lot of stuff like that. Like, you know, I remember being at this buddy's house or doing this and it's triggered a lot of, a lot of thoughts, uh, just that statement, you know, some different stuff. It's like, oh, maybe that is why I'm the way I am, you yeah. know? Exactly. Uh, yeah. You because start... I did have to work for the shit I wanted, you know, yeah. it was never, you, yeah. So that's I why I can't be taught. Needed, that's but... where, like, that's essentially why I feel like you can't get taught how to have this mindset, right? I think certain people are blessed with that mindset and it's like, take it and run with it. Use it to its full capabilities, right? Yeah. When I'm super stressed, I always think to myself, I'm like, man, I'm just grateful I have a good mindset. I got a yeah. good mind, right? Because yeah. we think like this, right? Yeah. I, and I think there, there's a lot of people don't, right? Yeah. And they don't have that. And it's just like, no matter what happens in life with mm -hmm. deals or, or family or whatever, it's like, man, I'm just grateful I got a good mindset because you can't buy that. You can't, you yeah. know, that's got to be developed over time. And I think it starts at an early sure. age. I want to ask you guys a question. Yeah. Because I was just talking to Jake about this, okay? Yeah. Do you guys ever, like, ever since you got into the industry and became an entrepreneur and stuff like that, right? There's obviously year one, you had goals, right? Say your goal was to make X amount of dollars, right? And then year two was X amount of dollars, right? Year three is X amount of dollars, right? So it's like, okay, You've accomplished most of your goals, right? But do you ever look back and you're like, I'm still not doing enough? Every day. Every day, yeah. It's All like, oh, like, the, there's, I, even though I hit what I said I wanted to hit, like, dude, this sucks. Like, I, I need no more. end. There yeah. is, it, it's, it's like a drug. It is. It, yeah. Dude. You always <laughs> like feel like you're not doing it enough. Even yeah. if you smash your goal, it's still like, well, maybe I should have yeah. set a higher goal because I probably didn't do enough, you know? Well, and, and even, and, well, not to cut you off, but, like, even, like, what I think about, too, is, like, even if I'm doing everything I feel like I can be doing, it's, like, what other piece am I missing? Am I yep. not educating? Am I not doing this? It's, like, even if it's outside of work, mm -hmm. there's always something else, too, oh, that you can sure. be doing. I, I think about that. Sometimes I drive by a fast food. Let me ask you guys a question on this. <laughs> Sometimes I drive by a fast food place, or not fast food, but just anywhere, and I think, man, how much easier would my life be if I just fucking had a nine to five, bro. Like if I could just show up, dude, and clock in at 9 a.m., be like, hey, what am I doing today, boss? You're doing this, this, and this. All right. Sounds good. Like I think about that sometimes. Like that is a crop, that is a thought I that couldn't crosses even my imagine. mind. Like I, I couldn't even, I can't even place myself yeah. there now. But I know I would be so unhappy. I know I, I would be so unhappy, but it's I, it's yeah. that that constant thinking and I have a similar thing. Like when I drive around places like that, I'm like, how do these people, how are they happy or okay doing this? Yeah, you go through you know a Starbucks I mean? drive through and you're like, because it's oh, like, what? You're still the here? Hell? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's like, it's, and again, I think it's like blessings, you know, that we get to see this stuff, you know, that it's like, it, it humbles you. You know what I mean? And it makes you like, you know, proud or just not like happy with what you have, right? Um, yeah, just because like uh, there's a lot of times where stuff doesn't go as planned and whatever, and then I'm over here thinking to myself, I'm like, man, I need to like stop complaining because like, I'm like, I would never, me personally, if you were to ask me three years ago, where do you think you'd be? I would never think doing what I'm doing today or here, doing anything or like reach the amount of success that I've had now. Never uh, at all. That's refreshing to hear because I feel like I talk to, you know, some people that are like, man, I always knew I was going to be successful, oh, you know. No. But it's like, refreshing, and I think it's refreshing for our audience to understand, like, even if you have those doubts and yeah. you don't know if you're going to, you know, have any success, like, that's a normal thing, right? We all kind of have that insecurity or that doubt. Yeah. It's important, too, though, to look at the gap behind you, too, because the gap in front of you is an infinite, so you're always going to feel less. But if you look at how far you've come – 
you know, it's, e- it's easier to be grateful in that sense, which oh, yeah. I think I lose track of a lot of times oh, is yeah. being grateful for how far we've come in the last few years, realistically. Yeah, no, I, I love that. I, I get, yeah, no, that's great to, to really kind of focus in on how far, because I mean, I, even these podcasts, I go back through and listen and, and Dude, I need to, I haven't, uh, I haven't in a long time. Yeah, it's yeah. awesome. And it's, it's good to kind of get, it's a journal of understanding where your mindset was at, what you were thinking about, who you were involved with. So, um, kind of in conclusion and just kind of tying everything, bringing it back here to real estate. Um, what do you think about this market? I know it's on everyone's mind right now. I know we've been talking about it a lot as a team. What do you think? Do you have any predictions you want to throw out there for 24 or what do you think rates are going to do? My opinion is I think prices, I don't see them coming down a whole lot. I, I just don't see it. Right. Here, at least in Maricopa County, like, and, like, the, the main cities, right? Outskirts, you know, they're outskirts. So it's like, you know, the demand over there has obviously slowed down since there's more opportunity here in the big Metro cities. Metro area, right? yeah. So I, I want to say that prices are going to pretty much stick where they're at. I think we're going to have, like, a stagnation or what is it called stagflation stagflation yeah where it's like it's just stagnant right where it's not going to go up it's not going to come down um i i could see stuff start moving because like i'm on the mls every single day the amount of units available goes down every single day Mm -hmm. does not go up so that's definitely a good sign um rates i think they're going to start coming down um a lot of people don't know this. I'm a mortgage lender as well, so yeah, oh, I wow. think yeah, I think yeah. I think uh, rates are going to start coming down. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's going to be a solid year next year. Um, I think it's just going to be more predictable, other than the roller coaster we were in this year, where like if you bought in January of this year, then you know by July, you know it was like okay, price did it come down? Did it stay the same? Like it was just so uncertain. You didn't know what was going to happen, right? And I feel like a lot of people pulled back because, like, rates did reach, like, a peak, right, of, like, just shy of 8% or 8% for primary. So, it's, like, it's it's tough. Like, right now, I'm seeing people get quoted, like, sixes, you know? So, like, that's pretty reassuring to see. Um, so, yeah, I think rates kind of come down a little bit. And then kind of just – I think it's going to be just a healthy market just because of demand. Demand's still there and, you know, inventory – not as much as it needs to be. It's yeah. still not balanced. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we need to be at 2021. 20, well, I always go back to the fact that there's so much low interest rate debt out there. I just, I, I don't think we've ever seen a, uh, a period where we've had an all time low of a two followed by, you know, a sharp increase of to eight, you yeah. know? So I, I think there's with all of that low interest rate debt out there, people I'm hoping, tight. yeah, people are going to hang tight and it's going to help with our inventory, which ultimately oh, I think is sure. what's going to save this market long-term is like, I, I think if we, a lot of these, these low interest rate, you know, folks out there started selling, mm-hmm. I think we might start seeing yeah. a lot more inventory. I don't inventory. think any of them are going to start selling. No, I, don't I don't think they I don't see it either. Just because like they could run would the they? house. They yeah. could do whatever they need to do. If they need to leave, they could throw a 10 no cash brainer. flow beautifully. Yeah. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. I, I don't see that happening. And the, the other thing that I keep an eye on is, like, what's going up, right, vertically? Everything is freaking apartments. Rent, 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 rent. Like, everything is apartments. So, like, it makes me believe that single-family homes are going to be way more valuable than they ever have been just because they're not building as many as they used to here in the cities, Right. Every corner is a damn apartment complex that's owned by a fund or whatever, right, that is just going to keep them and rent them, right? It's going to drive rents up, you know, but if you can get your hands on single-family stuff right now that's affordable, I, me personally, that's a play. Hold on to that stuff just because I feel like there is going to be a lot of value in that asset class. Um, just seeing what's going vertical. Yeah, and then really, I mean, especially to folks that maybe aren't from Arizona, I mean, we're seeing a lot of a lot of builder, or not a lot of builders, but one builder in particular that I can think of, like interest rate? Uh, doing the build-to-rent model, where they're building entire single-family homes. Have you seen that out by the Wait, 303? Full neighborhoods. No, not 303, like but there is two communities going up in Gilbert. That is are there, built to rent. Are there really, really? I didn't know they were on the. I thought they were all doing them on the west side, but you no. Know, so there is two that are, and these are small single family, right? But um, Greenfield and Ray, 
Oh, I've seen those. On the, that, yeah. Yep, yeah. That look, over the highway, or look over the road there. Yep. Yeah. That, those are all built to rent. And then Sam's Club off of Gilbert Road and Baseline. Yeah. Right there, there's a lot. They're already up. Those are all built to rent as well. Same builder, I believe, because it's like the same style. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, in, in that, but that's a great observation because I wasn't even thinking of it like that is, yeah. you know, with all the multifamily they're building as well. Yeah. And then all the, you know, some of the single family even being for rent, rent not yeah. for sale. Oh, yeah. What does that do to single family long term? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I so. think that's huge. What else, what else do we not know about you, Matt, before we let you get going, man? We appreciate you coming on today. I appreciate you guys. I never knew you me. were a lender. <laughs> what the hell? Nobody really knows that. I, I honestly got it just so I could get better rates on burrs. I kid <laughs> you not. I yeah. kid you not. Uh, <laughs> he's an agent, yeah. he's a wholesaler, <laughs> and he's a lender. Taking the bro. commission. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, no, man, that's about it. Just... Um, any yeah. words of uh, words of advice? Any anything you want to give to someone out there, maybe starting off or Jeez. thinking about keep going, <laughs> keep going. I love it. Just keep going. But um, yeah, I love if it, you guys man. Need anything? Just always feel free to reach out. Yeah, reach out to appreciate Matt. Appreciate you coming on, brother. Yeah, we appreciate you coming in studio. Reach out to Matt. He's got uh, a ton, ton of. He's a wealth of knowledge. So make sure you guys. You know, DM him, you know, reach out and see if he's willing to help you look at a deal or, or kind of share his advice or his mindset on on deals. I've done it. You know, I think there's a lot of value in having people that you can call that you trust and bounce ideas off of. So make sure you guys leverage that. And I hope you guys have a great holiday. Take care, guys. Deuces. Peace.